Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a discussion of how commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures are destroying our planet's precious wildlife. This is Risha Kota Larson with Behind the Schemes, and in this episode, we're talking about the plight of Zimbabwe's pangolins. Pangolins are culturally significant in Zimbabwe, where it is traditionally accepted that if you happen to see a pangolin, you must capture it and present it to a chief. Lisa Highwood, founder of Tiki Highwood Trust in Zimbabwe, explains that while this local tradition once protected pangolins from overhunting, current demand for pangolin scales and flesh from outside the African continent is depleting their numbers. Tell us about the unique cultural significance of the pangolin in Zimbabwe. Um, right. The Shona people are the largest ethnic group in Zimbabwe, and it is mainly their belief that has been passed throughout the, the last decades. Um, the Shona people are very uh, strong believers in the supernatural world. So with the pangolin's myth and legend, uh, the Shona people believe that the pangolin, if seen, must be brought to a chief or a person of high standing, in other words, a medicine man. Um, th they agree that it is a very respectful gesture and by doing this, by bringing the pangolin to a person of high standing, they will be blessed, as too will the community be blessed. Of course, that's not happening in today's world, but this is the cultural belief behind the pangolin in Zimbabwe. Um, it is believed that if a person finds a pangolin, the pangolin won't run away like a true wild animal, but instead it will roll into a ball and wait. The reason for this is that it doesn't want to be left alone. It wants to be taken to the spiritual leader. When it is taken to the spiritual leader, um, it will be given the consent and blessing of this leader. And it, if, if the leader does not bless the animal and decide what to do with the animal, i.e. to let it go or to kill it and eat it, then the whole community will suffer as a result of that. So no person other than a, a leader or a spiritual leader can decide what to do with a pangolin. And this is very important because up until recent days, all the Shona culture believe that this is what would happen and it protected the pangolin. Unfortunately, that legend now has been lost and we have got a completely different um, happening on the ground, which is very sad. Um, but let me carry on with the spiritual side. If someone sees a pangolin and do not take it to the spiritual leader, then the community will be doomed and the harvest will die. What, what they believe is that the, the spiritual leader wants to be reunited with his wife, and it is believed that the pangolin has taken the form of the spiritual man's wife. Um, the pangolin, unlike other animals, do not run away, and many Shona people believe that this is the reason why they want to be captured, is because the wife wants to meet up with the husband husband. When the pangolin is taken to a spiritual leader, the person who found it may not say a word until it has been handed over and paid for, typically with a small gift of money. This practice echoes a newly wedded wife arriving at her husband's village. But unlike a real wife with whom the, the spiritual leader would consecrate the marriage on the first night, the pangolin is regarded as a ritual wife and is cooked immediately by the spiritual leader to be shared with everybody in that spiritual realm, which is quite a horrifying story, but this is the oh belief and funnily enough it is protected. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it has protected the pangolin within Zimbabwe for mm -hmm. many years hmm. up until mm -hmm. the recent trade issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that... that in, sums up what the people of Zimbabwe believe the pangolin mm -hmm. used to represent here. So the yeah. pangolin 
rolling up in the ball, he's really saying, leave me alone. And it, and when they see him, it's like, oh, look, it's waiting for us. Yeah. And it <laughs> wants to be reunited. The pangolin always takes on the role of a, of a female. It doesn't matter whether it is a female or a male. The pangolin takes the role of a female and needs to be reunited with a spiritual leader um, and hence asks asks to be killed so that can be uh, reunited with the, the spiritual leader. Um, but what is also interesting is the belief, the old belief was that no one can look for a pangolin. A pangolin, if it crosses your path, so if somebody's walking in the bush and a pangolin crosses the path and the pangolin is seen by a human, then it is the pangolin's wish to be collected and to be reunited. Because pangolin are so secretive, very few people see pangolin. That is their belief, that it's only when a pangolin makes themselves visual to the human that they in turn want to be reunited with their husband. Oh, gosh, that's got so many complicated layers in there. Yeah, absolutely. But it kept the pangolin safe for many, many years. But now you said things are, are different. Um, how has it changed? I think it's safe to say that it's probably a twofold um, problem that we're facing. One, we've got an economic situation in Zimbabwe um, due to the last 15 years or so. And the, the poverty level is, is much lower than it used to be. There's unemployment, etc. So keep that on one side. And then on the the other side, you now have open uh, flight routes from Africa to Asia, and it's very easy to get, jump on a plane in Africa and arrive in Asia a few hours later. And this is what is uh, developing a demand. Um, you've now got a lot of Chinese people coming into Zimbabwe, and it is stimulating a demand for, for multiple species, one of which is pangolin. And the value that has been placed on the pangolin and, and being brought in um, as a captured animal is between 5,000 US dollars, right up to seven, seven and a half thousand US dollars. So you can imagine in the poverty that a lot of people are experiencing in Zimbabwe, that is a tremendous amount of money and they can't really say no. Oh, no. And so how are the uh, pangolins, would you have any idea how, are they just getting taken out on uh, aircraft and people's flights? I know that we've heard about uh, rhino horns being found in people's luggage. Is it easy for them to smuggle the pangolins mm. or are they kind of chopping them up and taking them out in pieces or do you have any idea how that works? The, 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 yeah, the, the transportation of the pangolins primarily through the scale. So oh. they're either grinding the scales up or even, yeah, they skin the animal mm -hmm. and it's the scales that are being transported out of Zimbabwe. I think the meat is probably being consumed internally and then obviously body parts, fetuses or any bits of body parts are probably being dried and then they're going out through through port of exits, um, which is where our concerns are now leading us to, to sort of focus on those areas and make sure that we have um, correct uh, awareness posters, etc., at these airports or port of entry and exit. Mm -hmm. And so this new threat, the uh, traditional medicine threat, then is more serious than what was ha what you were describing before. When a pangolin shows itself, it has to be captured and presented. So this is more of a of a commercial threat to these animals then. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Now you've got a financial price on the pangolin's head, which I think any animal, regardless of what it is, as soon as there is a financial price on its head to this level, then that's going to obviously be in 
the animal's detriment. Um, and also, nobody's really up until recently focused on the smaller animals that are being traded, be it for the muti trade or for the meat trade. People haven't really been focused on the smaller animals. The rhino, etc. yes, mm -hmm. they're very focused and there's a lot of awareness campaigns out there throughout the world on your animals like your your pangolin and your hedgehog. In Zimbabwe, that's another animal that's also, you know, coming under tremendous threat as the hedgehog for muti purposes or medicine purposes as well. Oh, I didn't know that about the hedgehog. Um, tell us more about the, the muti purposes, how that affects the pangolins as well. Okay. In Zimbabwe, muti probably p plays a very minor part. There are oh. um, spiritual leaders or mm -hmm. um, nyangas, as we call them, the um, African witch doctors. Um, and yes, they probably do have pieces of the pangolin, but no, mm -hmm. it's not a huge thing. It's not like you can guarantee to go into a muti um, stall and you will see a part of a pangolin. South Africa is quite a lot different. Um, their traditional belief is that one pangolin scale worn in your pocket will uh, ward off all, all bad or negative energy. So your average person wants to have a pangolin scale to ward off any evil spirits. Oh, no. Um, we don't have that belief here in Zimbabwe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it goes from bad to worse, doesn't it? When you start sort of layering each a little bit of onion peel off and seeing what's underneath, it's quite terrifying. Oh, it is. Um, but pangolins are, they're a specially protected species in Zimbabwe. But oh, what, is, what does that mean? Is that helping? How, how does that work? Yeah, it definitely has a huge effect. There are nine specially protected animals in Zimbabwe, uh, pangolin being one of them, and obviously your black and white rhino are, are the other animals that are involved in this group. What that means is that they have special protection. So if you are found poaching or trading in any one of the nine species, you automatically are liable for a jail center and or a heavy fine. So with reference to the pangolin, um, it has just been passed now and, and we've worked very closely with our authorities, um, the Ministry of Environment as well as our national parks and the Tiki Highwood Trust to increase the poaching fines so that they can act as a deterrent. Uh, so the pangolin fine has gone from 500 US dollars to 5,000 and we feel that this is now going to be a deterrent because if somebody is caught with a pangolin that they've poached, they, if they cannot pay that fine of $5,000, they're automatically jailed for hmm. a period of time until they can pay that 5000 and they have to go to court and it will be a trial. And that's obviously where we come in and we present the, uh, to the courts the different areas which we want them to be penalized under. So you can bring in the Cruelty um, Act, which is, is very important in Zimbabwe and it still holds a lot of um, clout in Zimbabwe because most pangolin, the way they're transported is not very humane. And obviously the time frame that that poacher has that pangolin, it hasn't been uh, watered well it ha and it obviously hasn't fed because the diet requirements of a pangolin are so difficult and unusual. And so just going back to what you said, so it's an, it's an automatic fine of 5,000 US dollars if they've captured or if they're in possession of a pangolin then, that's correct? Correct. Oh my gosh. Well, that's good. That's good news. Um, and then the transporting of the of the pangolins, obviously, as you said, they can't really take care of them. So I imagine they're probably not in very good condition when you're able to rescue them. And so you've got to do some rehabilitation with them. 
Correct. That's the other problem. Um, if I can just give you a rough idea, um, the last Pangolin court case that we were involved in, which was in December last year, what we managed to actually go to court with were the following charges. So the primary charge was Section 45 of Parks and Wildlife Act, which is um, the control of hunting a specially protected animal or being in the possession and sale of a protected, a specially protected animal. Okay, so that is, that is one charge. Then the next charge was Section 59 of the Parks and Wildlife Act, removing um, a live animal from its natural place of origin. Then the third count was prevention of cruelty to animals. The fourth count was trapping of an animal illegally. Um, and then the fifth count was Section 55, Part 11 of Parks and Wildlife. Um, a penalty, which is uh, it's a special penalty that's put in for again a second offence of a specially protected animal being poached, and this automatically is a fine, um, as well as up to twenty years imprisonment. Wow! Now, did they end up yeah. going? So they're in jail right now. The ones in December, no, they've, they've actually, that case has, has been tried and they were all penalized and they're basically first time offenders. So now mm. if either one of mm -hmm. those two poachers are found again, we will mm. charge them under section 128, the special penalty for certain offenses. Mm -hmm. And we'll go for, um, if I can read it out so I don't get anything wrong, notwithstanding any other provision of this act, any person who is guilty of an offense under this act involving a the unlawful killing or hunting of a specially protected animal specified by the minister or b the unlawful possession or trading in ivory or any trophy of a rhinoceros or any other specially protected animal that may be specified by the minister shall be liable to a fine not exceeding level 14 or to imprisonment for a period not exceeding 20 years or to both such fine and such imprisonment. Well, I, on the one hand, I definitely hope these guys don't get caught again. But if they do, I certainly hope that they get the book thrown at them. <laughs> Those are some serious penalties <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I think, though, the deterrent, you know, mm -hmm. like, there are people that would disagree with, with my thought process. But I think, you know, when you're in a, in a country such as we are in Zimbabwe and you have so many um, economic and political factors to consider, what I am hoping for is to develop a respect for our wildlife, particularly the mm -hmm. wildlife that is threatened, such as the pangolin. Um, and I believe that the only way you can do that is by enforcing what laws have already been written because the people of Zimbabwe do respond to knowing what the law is. And our biggest fight at the moment is to try and get that information out to the, the, the people to say, hey, this is illegal. You are not allowed to do this. And if you do do this, then you will come under serious um, you know, legal uh, areas where you'll be fined and jailed, if not both. Um, and no, it's not a very nice thing for people to think, okay, well, I've, I've innocently taken a pangolin out of the bush, but I don't believe in this day and age that anybody innocently takes a pangolin out the bush. Mm -mm. No, I, I, I don't either. And uh, speaking of uh, taking them out of the bush and, and stealing them and all these other things, you have a little baby one that you rescued, correct? What What's the story between that one? I've been watching the updates, and his nickname is Champ. Is that correct? 
Yes, that is. Um, Champ's nickname, well, his full name is Chamanuka, which is um, the Zimbabwean (laughs) Zimbabwean equivalent of St. Francis of Assisi. Chamanuka was a a very, yeah, prominent um, African. African person who who had uh, ability to communicate with animals. So when Champ arrived um, five weeks ago, we thought that it was um, you know it suited him the name. Uh, not only is he a champ because he survived the ordeal <laughs> of three days being so young, but he needed to have somebody who could protect him as he uh, made his way through adulthood and hopefully arise, arrives one day at adulthood. Um, so he also was part of this pangolin uh, poaching. He was caught up in the north of Zimbabwe on the Nyamapanda border uh, between Zimbabwe and Mozambique. We actually believe that he came from Mozambique and that he's a Mozambican pangolin because the person who poached him was a Mozambican resident. So that particular poacher is currently awaiting his trial, which will be on the 22nd of March this Mm. next month. Mm -hmm. And he is in jail until his trial comes to term because he is a foreigner. So Mm -hmm. we believe that Champ's origins are from Mozambique and he's subsequently been with us for five weeks and he's gone from 728 grams to to 1.5 gram, uh, 1.5 kgs uh, current weight, which is it's a it's a good uh, progression. But as you can well imagine, ha- having a Cape pangolin that's so young, there are many trials and tribulations that I think we're going to face and that we have faced. Mm-hmm. So each day is a challenge, and each day we're very happy when it comes to an end and Champ's still looking healthy and doing what <laughs> pangolins should do. Yeah, definitely. Is he is that now is that the same species that would be all the same species, whether uh, they're from Mozambique or Zimbabwe? Those are all the Cape pangolin. Correct. Those are all the Cape pangolins from Southern Africa. It's all the Cape pangolin. Yeah. Oh, OK. Mm-hmm. So um, tell me more about what uh, Tiki Highwood Trust does to protect and conserve Zimbabwe's wildlife. I mean, it sounds like you've done a lot. I mean, not just working with the authorities um, to get the laws enforced and actually physically rescuing the animals. But tell me more about that. Okay. Um, what we started in, in 1994 when we started, our main aim was to actually breed endangered animals and then return them back into areas of Zimbabwe, into their natural environment. So we, you know, all our animals that come to us are either orphaned or they've been abused animals in different parts of Africa, Um, you know, be they from zoos or collectors. um, uh, We've just found and been notified about these animals that are in dire straits and we've imported them into Zimbabwe in the hope that we can breed and return them back into the wild. So our concept in the early days was to have every animal come through our center, rehabilitate that animal and return it back into the wild where we would um, fit them with the tracking device and we would monitor their progress in the wild. Um, Our belief was that it was only when the second generation was born in the wild that our project was a success. So for the first sort of five to eight years, that was our prime focus. And then things in Zimbabwe gradually started changing. And one of the hardest things that we had to accept was there were fewer and fewer safe places left in Zimbabwe to release these animals. So we had to reassess the situation on the ground. And what we we made the decision whereby we would not breed, actively breed any animals that we could not guarantee that they had the very best and safe environment to go to. Um, So we started having to um, use forms of contraception 
collection and quite a few of the species uh, until we can find a place for them to be released. And we do, we still are releasing animals, but obviously they're animals that come through uh, the center because they've been orphaned or they've been caught in snares. So we now are rehabilitating them and then returning them to safe places. And it, I have to be honest, a lot of those safe places where we once were looking and able to uh, release these animals, they're no longer. Mm. They, they have um, succumbed to the land and invasions and we mm -hmm. certainly can't release animals into those areas mm -mm. so we're having to you know reassess all that kind of thing but with with what the thing that has stayed um, firm throughout the Tiki Highway Trust uh, history is that we work with authorities and we try and create awareness um, as well as enforce helping to create the enforcement that's required in getting these laws passed through through government such as increasing the fines the poaching fines but also um, doing workshops with the authorities such as our national park CID uh, Zimbabwe police because these are the people that are part of going out there and um, creating ambushes and arresting the required poachers now if somebody doesn't understand the importance of an animal um, when they've arrested a poacher they're not going to say okay well, we're going to push as hard as we can to get a conviction here um, if they don't understand the importance then they're not going to fight for that conviction mm -hmm. so we spend a lot of energy trying to work with our uh, law enforcement body in creating this awareness um, and in this year we've managed to have a full endorsement from national parks in our first campaign against illegal trade in wildlife um, because that is what is, is threatening multiple species, not just pangolin, mm -hmm. is this uh, trafficking of wildlife. And obviously a lot of our animals are ending up a, a product of, of the trade in different countries. Um, so this is something we're focusing very heavily on this year. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, the illegal wildlife trade is absolutely out of control. It's just... Uh, Completely. Yeah, it's... It's uh, running rampant, unfortunately. I mean, both, it's just really grown exponentially. Um, what, uh, going back to what you were um, saying and the work that you do, how can people help support your work? Well, the first thing I think is to, to learn what it is that the Tiki Highwood Trust is involved in. Um, mm -hmm. We've got projects around the country. We have um, a unit up in the Eastern Highlands where we work with national parks once again, but we have our own anti-poaching unit um, and they are on the ground every day, clearing snares, working with the community, trying to spread the awareness. Um, just before the, the summer months, we start doing fire breaks because obviously fire is another element that hampers any small mammal on the ground such as pangolin tortoises and hedgehogs um, so all these these uh, units that we have are, are very important we believe on the ground and those obviously need support um, we have a rescue center which is a 24-hour seven days a week rescue center we'll take in any animal that has been orphaned and or damaged again with the ultimate aim of releasing that animal back into a safe area we are not a zoo so we do not open to the public and we actually don't really promote any exploitation of animals mm -hmm. um, however in order to have a, a rescue center you do need to have animals in in enclosures for a period of time before they're well enough to return them back into the wild mm-hmm Funding is always a difficult thing in Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. but I know a lot of people don't want to fund uh, different projects in Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. So funding, we, we're always looking for funding, as you mm -hmm. can well imagine. Um, but again, I always feel that people need to be 
very aware of what a group is doing um, before they start funding a group because yes. you know it, it's it's a, a big thing to hand over. It doesn't matter whether it's one dollar, a hundred dollars, or a thousand dollars. You need to feel comfortable about that that organization and understand what they're fighting for, so that you can personally get involved and and believe in what the fight's all about. Exactly. We're not an anti-humanitarian group, but at the same token, a lot of people I think find that our fight for the justice in Zimbabwe for wildlife crimes, they think we might be quite hard uh, because if you've done something wrong and it is a jailable offense, I'm the first one to say put him in jail mm-hmm. um, because I, I believe that that is a deterrent. And the more people that realize it is a jailable offense, the less likely they are going to be at crossing that line and picking up that animal and invariably killing that animal mm-hmm. and then trading it. Um, as soon as you start trading an animal and realizing that there's easy money, um, I think we, we, we go into a, a, a zone where I don't know if we can come back from that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. Well, thanks so much, yeah. Lisa, for spending this time with us today. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me on your program and giving me the time to uh, explain what it is that we're doing in Zimbabwe. Well, you're very welcome. You've been listening to The Plight of Zimbabwe's Pangolins with Lisa Highwood, founder of Tiki Highwood Trust in Zimbabwe. This is Risha Kota-Larsen with Behind the Schemes.